0: And on scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North
1: Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie-Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. Away we go. A happy Valentine's Day Scoop Podcast, faithful. It is Score North on 1500. It is Scoop Podcast episode 283. Definitely love is in the air on this Valentine's Day. Much love to all of you who have kept this podcast going nearly four years strong. Also, much love to the many guests who donate their time, including one who joins us right now. It's Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider, longtime. Nets front office executive we had Bobby on pre-deadline NBA trade deadline we had him on right after the Malik Beasley trade but we haven't had him on since the D'Angelo Russell trade so we wanted to have him back just to analyze all of the fallout with the Wolves and Bobby let's start just big picture like if you go back to the end of last year only Josh Okogie and Carl Anthony Towns are still here in season just 50 games in Gerson Rosas Sends out nine players if you go back to the opening night roster, nine players have been sent on their way in all your years working in the n b a covering the n b a Have you ever seen something like this happen in such a short amount of time
0: uh probably not that many players. Um, you know I remember when um you know John Calipari took over in ninety six and nineteen ninety six Yeah, we orchestrated a big-time trade at the deadline and, you know, sent out Sean Bradley and and some other players. And wound up getting back Jimmy Jackson and Chris Gatling, Sam Cassell, Eric Montrose, and really kind of turned over our roster. And we were somewhat in a comparable position to where, you know, Minnesota was, you know, coming off a, a lottery season, a new coach, new general manager. Um you know, first fifty games kind of gave you an idea of where your team was, and then you can kind of reassess at the uh, at at the deadline and um but i don't remember this many players um from a turnover standpoint where you have completely um flipped your roster usually you know the general manager comes in and, as I say, kind of gives in an audit of the team and waits until the end of the season and then kind of evaluates but um you know for Gerson, there were you know certainly deals that he liked. Including the D'Angelo Russell uh, trade that you know that he could not wait until he got to June or July to do.
1: Do you like the Russell trade as much as he does? I mean, my opinion, Bobby, is anytime you're in a position to acquire a 23 year old All Star, I think you do it. Especially when you can move on from Andrew Wiggins' contract after this year, three years, ninety five million dollars left. That being said, I think Golden State is a really good situation for Andrew. Heck, on Wednesday night, he has four blocks in a game. I know blocks aren't everything, but in 442 games in a Wolves uniform, Bobby, Andrew Wiggins never had four blocks in a game. In a three-game sample size with the Warriors, he's shooting the ball incredibly well. But all that being said, if I were Gerson Rosas, I'd make that Russell deal every day of the week.
0: Well, I agree. I mean, I think it's uh, it's a win-win for, for both teams and you know certainly for... For minnesota it's you know it's hard to get and, and I know we could probably get caught up on the draft pick and what it's going to be, and we don't know where that will be in two thousand twenty one but um you're in a they're in a business of acquiring talent right I mean you go out and there's not that many as you know point guards out there all star level point guards um you're not going to find it likely in free agency this summer um The hard part is if you wait until the summer of two thousand twenty one now 18 or 19 teams have cap space to go after these type of free agents. And, um, you know, to get something like D'Angelo Russell, you have to give up something. And, and um, you know, you, you've seen Andrew Wiggins there for, you know, five or six years. We kind of know what, where he is right now. Um, but I, I liken D'Angelo to kind of that quarterback, that franchise level quarterback that are, that are so hard to get. Um, usually you get him in the draft here. We got him in, in, and get him in a trade and they'll be 24 at the end of February. Um, you know, as kids come from a good structure in in Brooklyn, and now um, you get you know your point guard of the future, and you have you know certainly sort of Carl there. Now you have some some really good building blocks to um, you know surround these guys.
1: The feedback you've gotten on Russell, I mean, clearly you still have a lot of good relationships with people with the Nets. I mean, was the feedback you got from Russell's time with the Nets pretty good?
0: Feedback was great. I mean, I think we all know what happened in Los Angeles um, as far as uh, a situation, really, were an unstructured situation. Um, and to go to Brooklyn really kind of turn, over, turn around his career. Um, they basically broke him down from, 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 you know, from, from all the way to zero and rebuilt him um, and played, you know, as you saw last year you know, with Kenny Atkinson, his head coach. Really had a solid year. Had a solid two years. Uh last year he was um you know an all star. Um, you know, certainly there's some things to work on. You know, probably could pick apart his defense. But yeah, I mean, where D'Angelo is um now compared to where he is when he came into the draft, um, you know, back in um yeah, I think two thousand fifteen, it's you know, night and day.
1: We're talking with Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA, front office insider. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see, you know, where this thing goes. But, you know, like, there was this big-time obsession for so long. You know, the Wolves, Gerson, with D'Angelo Russell. I guess one thing that surprised me, Bobby, I mean, everything you lay out about D'Angelo, you know, being, you know, a franchise-type quarterback, if you want to make that comparison. I mean, I think the Knicks had some interest. I think the Knicks, my understanding is, made some sort of offer, some sort of bid. But it doesn't sound like, like, the trade market was was thick for Russell a did you also hear that and if so does that surprise you that the Warriors really didn't have that many offers to sift through
0: no it's not surprising just because of uh, every team out there uh, from a point guard position is pretty set Uh, if you, you go down the list of course um, you know, from Denver with, uh, you know, Jamal Murray and, and Utah with Connolly or even Donovan Mitchell and Houston with, with Westbrook, D- Dallas with Luca. I mean, you go Chris Paul in Oklahoma City. Um, there was not a much of a need for, um, you know, certainly a point guard like D'Angelo and, and a need where you're going to give up a significant price. Uh, I think the New York situation was a little bit difficult based on the transition as far as the front office when you have, um, you know, um, uh, Scott Perry, who is the GM, but they're in you know looks like Leon Rose will take over to go out and, and acquire a player like D'Angelo Russell and give up multiple draft picks, and we don't know if D'Angelo Russell is a Leon Rose type player. So I I don't I don't I wasn't surprised the market was um, a little bit lukewarm. Um, as I said before, doing these type of trades when you only have 30 games left in the season are hard. So if you're a playoff team, you're not going to basically tear it down and insert a point guard for for the last twenty five, twenty seven games here.
1: How do you look at that twenty twenty one Minnesota first round pick? It's got top three protection, but you know you talk to enough people that that cover the draft on a on a regular basis, they will tell you that the optics right now suggest that the twenty twenty one draft should be pretty good, way stronger than this year's draft. So how do you view that? as an asset that the wolves gave up
0: yeah i mean i when you look at what you know golden state has a you know they weren't looking to try to get a another 2020 first um because they their their pick is going to be in in the probably in the top five and in an average to week draft that that doesn't um that doesn't do much for them but yeah, I mean there is some top three protection on there. Uh, it does give them uh, in case things really bottom out again in 2020-21. Uh, I'm not I'm not expecting that, um, but yeah, I mean you you you're giving up probably a top ten pick, probably in that eight to nine range. Um, but as I said before, you're not going to be able to if you hold on to that pick. Yeah, maybe you find a point guard of the future, but there's so much uncertainty as far as who will be in the draft. Yes, the draft is projected to be stronger. Um, that, doing that, risking a future draft pick, uh, considering that you already have some young players on your roster already. You'll have, uh, you'll have a a pick this upcoming June that's going to be high. You've got, um, you know, Culver and and Koji. You know, as we said, D'Angelo is only, you know, will be 24 at the end of the month. Um, Carl is still certainly young. Um, So I'm, I'm fine with the Wolves going out and giving up a first-round pick or a good, a high-value pick because a Wiggins for Russell swap was not going to get it done. I mean, that's, that's the reality of this.
1: Don't forget about also the Wolves have, via Atlanta, Brooklyn's first-round pick. I mean, it looks like Brooklyn, I mean, they would have to fall flat on their face. I mean, they'd have to curl up in the fetal position, right, Bobby, for, for the Nets to miss the playoffs just because the East – is that weak, but it looks like the Nets will be the seven or the 8th seed in the East, so as long as they make the playoffs, that's a pretty good asset for the Wolves come June to have that Nets first-round pick.
0: Well, you're right. I mean, it's, it's I think right now it's the 16th pick in the draft, um, which is as good as a, a pick is going to be. If, if it's lottery-protected, of course, it could be you know, possibly 15th, but yeah, I mean, you see you see Brooklyn they've they, they snapped that Toronto winning streak um, it's almost like you can count that. How they, the back end of the Eastern Conference it feels like every time Brooklyn Orlando gets a win it should count as two right because it gives them so much <laughs> separation from uh-huh. Washington who's got 33 losses or Chicago's got 36 losses and they're five ahead in the lost column ahead of Washington unless things really fall off you know I think 35-36 wins will probably get you in the playoffs so Um, That pick is is as good a value as that you're going to get, and that was from that that 14, you know, 12-player trade.
1: Another tentacle to the D'Angelo Russell trade by the Wolves is they are now over the luxury tax. Can you lay out for our audience, Bobby, what exactly that means and, like, what are the benefits to being an under-the-luxury tax team versus what are the penalties if you're over the luxury tax like the Wolves currently are?
0: Yeah, when you're in tax in Golden State's just over a uh, million dollars or about 1.1 $1. $1 million dollars there's you know we as you know we're, we're the trade deadline's passed so how can you get under if that's going to be the goal and and how you get under is you try to work on a buyout if it's with Evan Turner or or um uh you know player like Alan Crab we saw last year towards the end of the year uh, Miami go under the luxury tax when they waived, um, Rodney McGruder. And he was claimed by, um, he was claimed by the, uh, the Clippers at the end of the season. And, um, so there's certain ways you can do it. The hard part is for the, from the bias standpoint is for guys like Turner or uh crab to have a team waiting for them at the end where, um, you know, if you're going to reduce your compensation by, um, you know a, a million dollars is there a team out there that can offer that and that's that's kind of where we are with the buyout market it's really murky i don't see a team waiting for them um so the likelihood is or there's a good chance that the minnesota stays in the tax where the um the downside is that you know they would pay a a bill as of now it's it's 1.3 million uh, instead of being one of those teams that would receive money from being uh, under the tax. And right now what we're projecting is the, t- the tax distribution is about 236000 that each of the um, non-tax um, you know, teams would get, which is, which is actually the lowest that it's ever been.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that just strikes me as of- really yeah. low. It is really low. I mean, I think the, the,
0: before that it was five hundred and seven thousand, seven hundred and fifteen thousand, were some other numbers that were were used. But yeah, I mean, we're really. I mean, that's that's a big reason why, you know, a team like Oklahoma City didn't make a move at the deadline because the the you know their, the tax distribu- distribution is so low. The difference between Minnesota and uh, we made a lot to do about what Golden State was able to do is that the likelihood is that Minnesota will not be a luxury tax team next year. And if you're a, re- a team which we consider a repeater tax, which means four to five years that that penalty is almost double. So, if you're Golden State, for example, they they've been in the luxury tax you know the last um, three years. They get out of the they get out of the um, luxury tax. They're under the luxury tax now and. Um, when you factor in Draymond's extension next year, um, they were factoring to pay maybe a luxury tax bill of 85 to $90 million because they're considered a re- repeater tax. Now they go under the tax this year based on uh, trading Minnesota Spellman and um, Jacob Evans. That potential tax bill goes to probably $40 million. So there's significant savings when you're looking at it from the, from the Warriors perspective based on the repeater tax. If you're the Timberwolves, um, yes, it, it, usually if you're an, um, a lottery team, you don't want to be in a tax, but I think these are a little bit different circumstances based on what you were able to do and how you were able to flip around your roster at the uh, at the deadline. All
1: right, so the exact number, so Minnesota right now is like 1-1, or what did you say, 1-3 over the luxury it's tax? Right about, yeah,
0: it's, r- it's right about 1-1 um, where where they are. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what you would have to shave off. Basically, what they would need is, is for... It's going to be hard to do um, to do a buyout with a player and shave that amount, amount off, and then you have to replace him. Um, they would need to waive a player, and hopefully somebody, um, hopefully somebody would claim him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if they knew that somebody would claim Omari Spellman, who they sent to the G League, who actually I would roll the dice on. Like, I'd like to see what I have in Omari Spellman, and he played for the Iowa Wolves, the G League team, the other night and actually looked pretty good. He's a former first round pick, but I guess if you're the Wolves, if you knew, like how much work can be done behind the scenes with the agent, like can you, if you're the Wolves, if you know, you know via the agent that some team would claim him, would that incentivize the Wolves to then waive a guy like Omari Spellman? Sure.
0: I mean, uh, I think a lot of it when you know I talked about earlier about you know Rodney McGruder um, getting waived in yeah. Miami, and in they the, knew that he like, would get claimed.
1: Claim yeah, I mean maybe they didn't know sure. the team exactly, yeah. but they knew. Mm-hmm. Once Miami put him on waivers, they knew that somebody was going to claim him,
0: right? And you and they were able to have uh, they retain early bird rights, and they were able to you know pretty give him a pretty good contract. And um, if you're a team claiming uh, Amari, you inherit his salary for next year, but he's still on a on a rookie contract and at a really good at a really good value. Um, so I think that's probably where you're probably if you're a front office of another team, that's where you're gauging. We were um, talking with your your scouting department to see, hey, if there is a uh, if he does become available, what do, do we like him? Do we think he's part of the future? Is he a nice development piece? And I think there's, I think there's teams out there that would certainly claim him. You'd have to have a trade exception or cap space to do it. Um, but those those are the kind of discussions that you're you're having with um, you know within within your own organization.
1: We're talking with ESPN's Bobby Marks. Bobby, when is when is the deadline? Like if you're the Wolves, what is what is the last possible date you have to try and get under the luxury tax?
0: Well, you could get it all the way up until the last day of the regular season. Uh so the, the 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 salaries or the what where you are in the threshold becomes frozen once the regular season um ends. The only thing that gets adjusted are uh, bonuses for players at the end of the year. I don't think um the T Wolves have anybody that that impacts but yeah you have until the uh, to the last day of the uh of the regular season
1: how does the summer set up for the wolves like it looks to me like bobby they'll they'll have what the full mid-level but they won't have like there's only what five or six teams that have cap space the wolves are not one of those teams this summer that will have cap space
0: well, a lot of it will to do it as far as what the direction you're going to go with um, Malik Beasley and, and uh, Juancho Heron Gomez because those those players have uh, you know significant cap holds that are counting into the cap. Um, where do you want it? You know, you inherited that James Johnson um, you know contract, which basically him and Gorgie Jang are basically swapped. You, yep. you swap out those um, those two players there. So, uh, and then you'll have a high pick uh, and the six, you know, and possibly the 16th pick, and those two combined to, to be right around um right around 10 million dollars so you'll be right around um right around the salary cap you'll, you'll have the um, opportunity to use your full mid level which is right around 9.8 million dollars um they're not a threat to be a, a tax team of course there's always a way to create room if you want to but i don't see that as a um, a way of what um minnesota's want to do and as you mentioned, there's. Only five or six teams that are going to be in, in, in under the salary cap in a average-at-best uh, free agent class uh, in July.
1: Yeah, of those teams, I mean, I guess I can't name them all off the top of my head, but I know, like, Detroit is one, Charlotte, Atlanta, you probably know all of them. But I look at those teams, and I'm not quite sure I see a team that is going to overpay Malik Beasley. And the Wolves have, I mean, you mentioned it, I mean, he's a restricted free agent, so if a team did... The Wolves can merely match, but I think the idea if you're the Wolves is hopefully you just re-sign him at a number that you prefer versus another team extending the offer sheet.
0: Well, that's the beauty of restricted free agency, is that you have an advantage with um, the ability to match an offer. And if you go down the list of teams, you know, if you're Atlanta, do you want to pay him more than the mid-level and you already have Kevin O'Hartner? If you are Detroit, you've got Luke Kennard. Um, you mentioned Memphis, who just gave Dylan Brooks an extension. In Miami, um, you've got Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler. Um, if you're New York, is he's somebody that fits long-term for you. Um, if you're Phoenix, you've got Devin Booker, Booker already. Charlotte, um, you know, is it Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier backcourt? Are you content with that? And so, yeah, I mean, you, you go down a list of teams, and it's basically kind of a uh, a process of uh, elimination. If if it's Cleveland, uh, if, if it's no Andre Drummond, you've got Sexton and, and Garland. Um, so you're right. It's you've you've got a you've got an advantage. Two advantages: restricted free agency is an advantage, and the the ability that there's just not many teams with cap space. Do
1: you still like? I think I brought up the name Aaron Gordon in one of our recent chats. But do you still like the idea maybe of of the Wolves attempting to maybe acquire him this summer? And I mean, does it make sense for Orlando to move him? I mean you know, you look at the, the Wolves roster, I mean, a four-man is, is seemingly a glaring need. Like, would it make some sense for the Wolves to continue to engage? I mean, they talked to Orlando going back weeks. Would it make some sense this summer for the Wolves to re-engage Orlando about Aaron Gordon?
0: Well, I think with Gordon, I think he'll have a list of teams that are interested in for, for him. Um, I've talked about Brooklyn already before. Um, it's just a matter of what, what does does anything on Minnesota's roster or the James Johnson contract for some reason purposes order um, of Koji. You can't trade out a, a first until um, two years after the uh, the pick to Golden State is conveyed. So likely at, at 2023 first. So you are a little bit restricted there. So. I'm sure that we balls made. I think if if, um, if something makes sense, um, but it may cost you dearly.
1: Bobby, your cell phone is breaking up ever so slightly. Maybe if you just shift a little bit in the room that you're in, because I just want to hit you with a couple more, then I'll let you go. So yeah, you bring up the the restrictions in the wolves being able to to not move certain first round picks after after moving their 2021 20, first with some protection, but Golden State has the Wolves 2021 20, first, but. Let's say the Wolves end up with the 5th or the 6th pick this June. Can they, like, what are the rules? Can they draft a player? Let's say they draft James Wiseman of Memphis. Can they then immediately trade his rights? Like, how, how is that in rule written? Like, can the Wolves draft a guy then immediately trade his rights? They just can't trade the actual pick?
0: Yeah, you're trading. You're actually just trading the draft rights to that player. So you're you're right. You're not trading. Um, let's say if we get to uh, May, uh, they cannot trade. Um, they cannot trade that pick if it's the fifth pick in the draft because it would leave them exposed. You have to you can't trade picks back to back years. Um, but once the draft, uh, once that player is picked, and during the night of the draft, you can trade the rights to um, the rights to that player. And it's important because. How they look at it with, with the step-in rule and also the seven year uh, when the seven year rule is that you look ahead. So once the draft is completed, now we start with 2021. Um, that's your seven year rule. You never you don't have to look back, even though you've already traded a pick.
1: You brought up Devin Booker's name. Are there some stars that you have an eye on this summer, like Gerson Rosas? You know this, Bobby. I mean, he comes from Houston, right? Like he's always going to go star hunting. Like if he can find a third star, now who knows? Maybe some people feel like Aaron Gordon could be that guy with Russell and Cat, but like whether it's Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Ben Simmons, you know, I'll be curious to see what takes place in Philadelphia this summer. But are there certain guys, stars that you'll be keeping an eye on and waiting and seeing what takes place with them this summer? Well, I think
0: that, I think um, you mentioned Devin Booker. I think Bradley Beal is certainly a, a good name, and what would have happened if there was no extension for Beal uh, last summer? And he didn't have that restriction on his contract where he was trade eligible, um, you know, uh, this past for that deadline. That's certainly an interesting name. Um, they've actually played better, um, you know, for Eastern Conference <laughs> perspective. They're kind of one of the teams fighting for that last playoff spot. But, yeah, I mean, Beal is certainly because is he content being in that situation? But I think if you're Washington, you're probably waiting to see how does John Wall come back, how do these two fit the health of walls. So, um, you know, Beal, Booker, you mentioned it will be interesting what happens in Philadelphia with Simmons and Embiid. How far can this pl- uh, team uh, go? But as you know, there, there's always going to be that one or two players that um, once you get to through the regular season, they, they kind of um, reassess in the off season and uh, want uh, a little bit of a change in scenery.
1: Speaking of Philadelphia, I'm looking at current potential first-round playoff matchups Philadelphia, Miami, Boston, Indiana, Clippers, Mavericks, Jazz, Rockets. Like how much fun Bobby are these playoffs going to be if those are potential first round matchups?
0: Well, and and, and also if you get let's say Oklahoma City, Denver, right? that's a good one too. I mean, we're I mean, we could get Brooklyn, um Toronto, um that which would be uh, appealing, but yeah, I mean the the, the uh, we've talked about it before this you know, we can name, right, probably the 12 or 13 teams that are going to be in the playoffs, maybe in 14 now, and just kind of, but we don't know what the feeding is going to be. And um, outside of a Milwaukee, Orlando, and a Lakers, um, Memphis, and even Memphis has appeal with John Morant and how they've played there. I agree. Every playoff series is going to be uh, of, uh, of watching
1: and is going to be of strong value. Bobby, always appreciate your time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Have a great day. The Wolves return to action one week from today against the Boston Celtics. It is All-Star Weekend. When the Wolves resume play, do not expect Carl Anthony Towns to be back. He's got that left wrist injury. My understanding is he first aggravated the injury going back a number of weeks. This isn't something new. didn't happen Monday in the game or in Tuesday's practice. It is something he has been dealing with for some time. I don't have a sense right now that this is a season-ending injury, but yeah, I don't sense that he'll be back next Friday. I do expect he'll miss more than the one game he missed on Wednesday. The Wolves continue to pursue a buyout with Evan Turner. The issue is Evan needs to find a team. Evan has had a nice career, former number 2 overall pick, had a great run at Ohio State in college. It's been one heck of a run for Evan Turner, but at this point of his career... I'm not quite sure anybody is willing to sign him. So that is the hurdle, and he's not giving back money. These guys don't give back money. Would you give back money? I wouldn't give back money. So the Wolves would love for him to give back money, and he would if he could find a new team to sign him where he makes up that difference. But right now, he can't find a team. Omari Spellman signs point to him finishing the year in the Wolves organization. He made his Iowa Wolves debut earlier this week. Former first-round pick. He was a good player at Villanova. I would like for the Wolves to give him a chance at some point, but I'm not quite sure that'll happen. If the Wolves could find a taker for Omari Spellman, I'm sure they would. But at this point, it's hard. If they waive him, they're not guaranteed that anybody would claim him. So at this point, it looks like Omari will spend a good amount of time in Iowa. When we come back, we'll get reaction to the firing of Bruce Boudreau with Brian Lawton former Tampa Bay Lightning GM. In fact, back in the day, Brian fired Barry Melrose. So Brian knows what it's like to fire a head coach. Yeah, he does now great work for NHL Network. He also was a longtime NHL player. So we'll get to that. Plus Max Meyer, Gopher starting pitcher. He'll be on the Hill tonight as the Gopher baseball team opens its season in Tempe, Arizona against the Oregon Ducks. Many Major League scouts will be watching Max Meyer. So stay with us. This is the Scoop Podcast, episode 283 Right here on Score North. We are back. Segment number two of the Scoop Podcast, episode 283 on this Friday night, the 14th of February. It's Valentine's Day, but clearly love is not in the air. At Tria Rink in downtown St. Paul, there this morning, wild general manager Bill Guerin fired head coach Bruce Boudreau. Joining us now to analyze said move. He works for the NHL Network. He's a fabulous analyst, former lightning general manager, longtime NHL player. It is Brian Lawton. Brian, welcome back to the podcast. I guess explain to me the timing. Maybe this move was always inevitable, but how do you explain the timing of the Wild releasing Bruce Boudreaux today?
2: I think the timing is more a function of what's going on in the National Hockey League, to be honest with you. Teams are so close. Uh, ownership groups see where their team is at. Everybody looks at the St. Louis Blues and says, you know, they were in last last year. They made the playoffs and won the Stanley Cup. Why can't that be us? The temperature has been ramped up. Uh, I, I personally believe that Bruce would be let go at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But I thought things would play out um, with how the Wilds have played. And they've played some good hockey lately. Uh, a, a big, big win over Vegas the other night. Obviously, a tough loss last night in overtime to the Rangers. But uh, I just think the Wild are feeling like they're right there. We might need an extra push. Billy Garen is not quite comfortable where Bruce is at. And he makes a strong, uh, aggressive statement that we, you know, to me, it says that we expect to make the playoffs. Yeah. It's going to be easy for him, but certainly possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was trying to figure out, I mean, is it that, or is it that Bill prefers that they lose a few games here? And help themselves come, you know, draft position-wise that Bruce is almost too good of a coach for them to lose games. But I think you're right. I guess my my first guess is, Brian, that, that the Wild, Billy, and Craig and those guys think that this roster is good enough to make a real playoff push here. But, like, Brian, if you look at the total body of work, or I guess the body of work over the last, what, 11, 12 games... They have like what? 7-8 victories. I mean, really, they're actually a pretty damn good team ever since that 1 in 6 start. That's why I just I can't wrap my arms around the timing of this move. I'm with you, Brian. I thought it would happen at the end of the year. I thought this move was coming in April. I did not expect it to happen on February 14th.
2: Well, that's right. And you gave the analysis for why, you know, would the Minnesota Wild think that they could make the playoffs? You said they were 1 in 6 to start the year 5 games below 500 after seven games and yet here they sit when you add the totality up at over four games above 500 right now and you add in the five they lost in the first seven games they're basically a team that since that seven game mark has played at a mid to high 90 point clip which is good enough to make the playoffs everybody's had a stretch this year when they haven't played well it doesn't matter who you are whether it's nashville winnipeg uh you name it e- even even uh Dallas had that horrific start Colorado had a bump you know real quality teams that's the function of how close the league is you get an injury you you bring your B game too many nights in a row and you can lose four five six games but conversely when things are rolling along and we saw this with the wild you can rip off an incredible 15 game streak so it's been a really interesting year. The fact of the matter is, if you, if you have been around this game for a long time, you recognize it's, it's, it's really like none other, certainly in this era. All these teams are so close. Um, the Minnesota Wild have looked like certainly the beginning of the year, they had no chance, but then they won a ton and looked like they were back in it. Then they lost. But the fact of the matter is, they're right in the thick of things. This is a move, in my opinion, that is, designed to help them improve. If they wanted to lose a bunch of games like you alluded to earlier, well, we all know in the past the way a team has done that is they've basically traded their veteran players and replace them only with prospects.
1: You can't really do that here with guys with with you know, no trade clauses and what have you and I mean there's too much pride in that room for them to actually if if tanking is such a thing in the game of hockey, I just don't know how you would pull that off, but a little bit more on the timing, Brian. So the Wild had their bye week, what, two or three weeks ago. I mean, clearly Bill was thinking about this move. Why not make the move then? Then I think about tomorrow. You know, they host San Jose pregame. They're honoring Zach Parisi for playing in his 1,000th game. I mean, in many ways, tomorrow was supposed to be this big celebration, and the celebration will still happen But it's just it's odd that now Bruce, who's a fan favorite in so many different ways, won't be behind the bench. That's why I just I really I'm struggling here, Brian. I just don't understand the timing of this.
2: Yeah, you know the narrative around the National Hockey League is is pretty much that Bruce is considered an excellent coach. He's got an incredible record. Um, More of the narrative around the team was there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the way certain things were handled. You're never going to have a team where everybody loves the coach. It just doesn't happen in sports. There's just not enough ice time to go around. But there was a disproportionate amount of angst, in my opinion, in talking to players on that team with regard to how they were being coached on a nightly basis. I would suspect, and I don't know it, that Billy Guerin picked up on some of that. And that is really the driving force behind this is that he believes that this will give us a better chance to make the playoffs. That doesn't mean he won't make more changes. Um, I think that the Minnesota Wilds have to have a long-term vision. They're an organization that has perennially obviously been in the playoffs six years in a row prior to last season. And a lot of times that's resulted in them being in the playoffs, but probably not really be, being considered a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I think that's something that Billy wants to identify, bring some brutal honesty to the evaluation of the organization and, and, and break the wheel, so to speak, change that dynamic. Uh let's try to either wrap it up or let's try to maybe, you know, go in another direction, one that sees us take a couple step a couple steps backwards to move forward ultimately. So a lot of things going on with the Minnesota Wild, but nothing uh can change my mind that this is not somewhat shocking at the time
1: no i mean the headline itself there's zero shock value i just i I will continue for a little while here you know to struggle with with wrapping my my brain around just the timing this okay so the interim coach is is the proper pronunciation is it Evison, dean Evison, evison you would know better than me but like who are some Uh, names i i I
2: would know better than you i played on two teams with dean evison
1: Okay, so Everson, thank you, Brian. Okay, so he's the interim coach. Do you think a he's got a chance to be the full-time coach, and if not, like who are some names we should keep an eye on? You know, guys that Bill Guerin has a connection to.
2: Well, in the short term, I don't think there's you know obviously there's no consideration for anybody else. Dean is gonna is gonna take the reins for the rest of the year. Billy's already said that, and then he'll do a deep dive in the off season when he's afforded a little bit more time. Uh, generally, you know, GM sale will do it in the off season. We don't know who's going to be available. Everybody's available right now. It's incredible. Babcock, Laviette, uh, Laviolette, uh, Gerard Gallant. Um, it's just been a real wow of a season for coaches, and this dovetails with what I'm saying about how close the league is and where expectations are at. Ownership groups, general managers, they expect their teams to compete for the cup. Unfortunately, in a 31-team league, we're still only allowing 16 teams into the playoffs.
1: I'll let you go after this. It's Brian Lawton. What did you make of the Zucker trade? I mean, you trade top six forward. Now, hey, it's a move I would have made if I was Bill Guerin. I think the return is pretty good, but you move out Zucker, you bring in you know one guy that you know, for lack of a better way, I mean, he's just hes not that good of a player. The prospect has a chance, maybe a really good chance, first-round pick. Like, you make that move, but you move Zucker, you know, then you beat Vegas, but then you lose last night in the shootout, and they blew a 3-1 lead. But, again, like, <laughs> I just I, – I don't understand the timing, but I guess I just wanted to pick your brain on, on the Zucker trade. Did you like that move by Bill Guerin, and do you expect more here? Even if they expect to make the playoffs, if if he gets a really good offer for Dumba or Brodeen or Felino should he pull the trigger?
2: Uh, first off, in re- a couple of things going on with the Wild. In regards to the trade, yes, I did like that trade. I thought Billy did very well in getting back a quality prospect in Caleb Addison. And then, of course, a first-round pick, which is treated as gold in today's environment. So that's a good return. The fact of taking back Delchenyuk, mm, the reality of that portion. The analysis of that portion of the trade is that Pittsburgh couldn't make the trade without moving Galchenyuk. So if the Wild didn't take him back, they needed to go out in the marketplace and trade him. In order for Pittsburgh to do that, they would have had to pay a premium for somebody to take him back. His production has not matched up with his salary is what I'm trying to say in a nice way. Yep. So what does that mean? It means you've got to attach a draft pick or a prospect If you expect an, if you can even find another organization that's willing to take that cap hit. He is unrestricted at the end of the year, so it's only short term. But again, the league is that tight. So all in all, I think the wild had to take him back. Would it have been nice if they picked up that premium? Maybe in their mind, they think they did. I'm not so sure they did, but they did make a deal that I think is going to be good for them long term. And it's tough to make deals to be fair. In terms of how could you trade away a veteran player like Jason Zucker that has really been a consistent scorer in this league, I think the answer is in the young players at the Wild have. And I say young loosely, Ugi, because the fact of the matter is the Wild players are not necessarily those teenagers or guys in your young 20s. And I'm talking about Conan, uh Jordan Greenway, uh, Joel Erickson, F, mm-hmm. Ryan Donato. This is the next wave, perhaps of who the wild are going to be, and those guys have done, in my opinion, a really nice job. And I think that Billy was thinking, you know what, we got to create a little bit more opportunity for some of these young players and really find out what they can do. We saw, we've seen this year what Joel Erickson Eck can do. Yeah, he's good. And I think yeah. he's only he's only scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. How has that happened? Well, a guy like Miko Koivu has had to take a little bit more of a backseat, which we haven't seen. Uh, in a very very long time for the Minnesota Wild. So I think it's a bit of a transition going on and for those reasons I like the trade for the Minnesota Wild.
1: Brian, thank you especially on such short notice. Hey, anytime. I'll be on
2: NHL Network.
1: Perfect. Tonight, Good right after this. We'll be watching, Thanks Brian. You. We always enjoy thank watching you. you on NHL Network. We'll we'll talk soon, okay? Thank even you. many hours later, I actually talked to Brian right before 11 a.m. this morning before I had to go bounce over to the trio Rink, talk with some wild players, do some insighting over there. So I recorded Brian this morning. So even hours later, I am still struggling to figure out the timing. This move was always going to happen. In fact, I was able to glean. I should note, by the way, I actually texted with Bruce. Bruce is going to talk soon. He didn't want to talk today, but if we can track him down for the podcast or for some TV work, I'll talk to Bruce soon. I think, just from talking to some people that know Bruce, that he knew the end was coming. He knew he wasn't coming back next year. I think he thought he would get the rest of this year. So the timing is certainly interesting. But then on top of that, it turns out that Bruce and Bill really haven't talked a whole lot the last few weeks. I'm told that Bruce found out about the Jason Zucker trade while it was already out there, or after it was out there. Like, it was on Twitter then Bruce found out about it. So it just it seems like going back multiple weeks, the Bill Guerin, Bruce Boudreaux relationship had started to get rocky. It will be interesting to see what direction Bill Guerin goes when it comes to his next head coach this summer. No surprise, especially in the National Hockey League. A GM will want to hire his own head coach. All right, before we get to Max Meyer, gopher starting pitcher. Let me empty out my notebook a little bit more. I told you what I know about. The Boudreaux fallout. Gophers basketball hosting Iowa on Sunday. They will have a number of recruits on campus, including from creighton Darham Hall, Trey Holloman. He's a stud sophomore point guard. Here's all you need to know. Tom Izzo of Michigan State. Once in badly, Stud Junior Chet Holmgren of Minnehaha Academy, Chase Carter, a sophomore from Minnehaha Academy, he's Randy Carter's son, and Prince Olegbe, a stud sophomore at Minnehaha Academy. There's going to be others as well, but I note those four because all four already hold Gophers offers. The Lynx lost out on Dewana Bonner and Skylar Diggins-Smith this week. At one point, I'm told, the Lynx felt like they were making progress with Dallas on a trade for Skylar Diggins-Smith, but she ultimately landed with Phoenix, and Connecticut gave up a lot for Bonner. The Lynx had conversations. It was always going to be a signing trade. It just never got close. In an ideal world, sure, the Lynx acquire Dewana Bonner, but they were not willing to pay that big price that Connecticut paid. Mike Zimmer, contract extension is coming. I'm just looking at my notes here. All the best to Tim Heron, Lumpy, making his champion's tour debut this weekend. I noted that in the most recent mock draft, NBA mock draft from The Athletic, that Zeke Naji, Trey Jones, Daniel Oturu, and Tyrell Terry, all local guys, were in the first round. Matthew Heard of Rochester John Marshall in the second round. I mean, this could be one of those drafts that multiple Minnesotans go in the first round. In fact, I actually ran into Trey's brother, J.D., when I was over at Training House earlier this week, which is right by the the Vikings facility, I connected with Thomas Barber, Sam Renner. I was over there with Shane Zilstra, Jake Lucina. A bunch of guys are getting ready for March 25th, which is Gophers Pro Day. Some non-gophers will participate in Gophers Pro Day. But anyway, I was over there, and J.D. now works for Training House. So I was catching up with J.D. I know Tyus is back in town this weekend. His other brother, Tyus Jones of the Memphis Grizzlies, is back in town for All-Star Weekend. Also ran into Ross Travis's dad. He now plays for the Jets. The Bears tried to get him. The Eagles tried to get him. But he landed with the Jets, a waiver claim, late in the season. Earlier today, I was over at De La Salle High School. Jalen Travis. So Jalen's older brother is Jonah. Another older brother is Reed. So that's a phenomenal athletic family. Then their cousin is Ross Travis, who played basketball at Penn State, then transitioned to a football career, and he's been in the NFL for a few years. But I was talking to Ross's dad. I'll try to catch up with Ross in the near future. But, yeah, how about Jonah going to Princeton? How about if you're Nate Travis, the father of Jonah, Jalen, and Reed? You see Jalen signed today with Princeton, so that's your youngest son off to Princeton Jonah played basketball at Harvard. Reed played basketball at Stanford. And, of course, Kentucky is now making money overseas. But how about just to be able to say that my sons went to Stanford, Harvard, and Princeton. Very impressive. All right, let's wrap up Scoop Podcast episode 283 with my conversation from like 8 to 10 days ago with Max Meyer. The Twins will be there tonight. The Twins will scout Max Meyer in Tempe tonight. Tonight is the start of the college baseball season. Max Meyer of Woodbury, Gophers junior pitcher. He also DHs when he's not pitching. He's actually one of their four or five best hitters. But it's his arm that has a chance to make him millions of dollars. If he stays healthy this year, Max Meyer of the Gophers is expected to be a first-round pick. Here's my conversation with Gophers pitcher, tonight's starting pitcher, Max Meyer maxes were now I suppose maybe still a couple weeks but really days not weeks to the season opener what what is your excitement level heading into the 2020 season
3: it's it's so exciting just all these practices and seeing what everyone can do like our pitchers are just electric right now and we can we're we're hitting the ball uh, a lot better than we did last year so it's just fun to see how much uh, progress we've made as a team
1: when you say pitchers are electric right now like, how do you define that? How do you know that, that the pitchers are electric right now?
3: Yeah, I'd say we we got a lot of velo right now, and we got more break on our off-speed, and our, they're making some of our hitters look gross, and we got good hitters. So, I mean, just just watching that stuff is just fun. The way last year finished, how does that motivate you guys this year? Um, I wouldn't say we look at what we did last year, but we we just know that we can do a lot better than we did last year. And just uh just that sour taste in our mouth having a pretty bad year after a super regional year. It's it's we're definitely hungry for this year. So
1: Yeah, I mean I was gonna say, I mean, you know what it's like to achieve greatness. I mean, you think about your freshman year, the twenty eighteen season. I mean, do you see I mean it's early but as you go through captain's practices and what have you, do you see maybe some comparisons you can make this year to maybe that 2018 team?
3: Yeah, i definitely say our team this year is a lot more loose. Like, we can just come to practice and joke around and stuff, and I feel like last year everyone's playing a little timid, and this year is just, it's just fun to be around again, like similar to my freshman year. So, you know, just joking around with the guys every day and just playing baseball because it's fun. That's That's what we got back to.
1: I'm losing track of all the all the preseason awards and accolades that, that you've received. I mean just how much pride do you take in just all the national recognition
3: you're getting? Uh, I mean it's fun like seeing those stuff, but I mean at the end of the day it doesn't doesn't really matter at all. I'm gonna still go out there and just do what I do what I have been doing and um, I don't really pay too much attention to that anymore. When you say
1: do what you have been doing, I mean is the plan for you okay, you pitch on Fridays. But then Saturday, Sunday, will you play outfield? Will you play first base? I mean, the bat plays, so I imagine your bat's going to be in the lineup.
3: Yeah, um, we'll have to see how I hit at the beginning of the season, but I, I'm sure I'll get a shot to DH at the beginning. And just how how I feel, you know, transitioning transi- transitioning from like you know pitching to hitting, we'll have to see how my body uh, holds up. But yeah, that's the plan. Just DH.
1: How did your body hold up last year? I mean, pretty much what just your freshman year, more out of the pen. You know, then transitioning to being, you know, the ace of of yeah. the
3: staff. I mean, definitely a little bit later at the end of the season, it was it was pretty tough on my body. The ball looked a little bit smaller. You know, every time I'd go in, just I could feel the wear and tear a little bit. But, you know, I, I wasn't really in the weight room too much back uh, last year. But now I'm gonna have a routine that I can be in the weight room for the whole season. So,
1: how many innings did you pitch last year? I guess including even all your all your summer accomplishments.
3: You know, I mean. Is there is there a plan
1: in place like pitches and innings that that you'll throw this particular year?
3: Uh, I'm not sure. I think I had like about a hundred, just close to hundred last year. Um, I'm I'd hope that I can get around a hundred again this year, uh, just the whole season wise, not summer ball. So I just want that's my goal get a hundred innings.
1: Speaking of summer ball, I mean, I guess just take us through what you did after after you know the the gopher season ended
3: last year. Um, I got invited to play with the usa team again and <clears throat> that's definitely like an experience that I'll, I'll never remember just the guys we met uh the places we went to the food we like the different cultures we experienced it was it was unbelievable and definitely great coaching staff too and just the relationships i got to build was unbelievable
1: any new pitches or anything you've tweaked i mean anything that, that you've changed i mean as we watch you here starting you know mid-february as we see you on the mound anything we'll notice
3: differently about you Um, I definitely got my changeup working a lot better. I never really used to use that because I I was kind of a closer kind of guy, so uh, my changeup's going to play pretty good this year, and then I'm starting to throw a little two-seam to get my fastball going the other direction because it usually cuts a little bit, so I guess two more pitches. All right, so what, four-seam, two-seam changeup, what am I forgetting?
1: Slider, slider, yeah. And of the four, I mean, is your best pitch, I mean, anytime you can locate a fastball, is that your best pitch?
3: Uh, I mean, i definitely say my slider. Uh, I've I've relied on it a lot lately, but uh, this year I I think it's probably going to be my fastball. I mean,
1: you know, as long as you can locate, is that the key? I mean, I guess that's the key for any pitcher. As long as you can locate, things will be good?
3: Yeah, locate, pound the zone, and, I mean, you just got to get ahead of guys, and then every pitch is going to play.
1: How much, I mean, you have to be aware somewhat of, you know, the the mock drafts and and seeing you as a first-round pick. Like
3: are you paying any attention to that? You have to pay a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean it's hard not to. You, you get guys joking around in the locker room, you get your family, you know, excited about that stuff, but I mean, at the end of the day I'm just I'm just having fun playing baseball. I don't I don't care whether I go first round or whatever, just give me an opportunity and you know, I'll pitch how I pitch.
1: I mean you weren't drafted out of high school by the twins, so I mean I guess you know what the sensation, the feeling like is of, of being drafted.
3: Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I'm I'm sure my dad was a little more happier than I was, you know. I, I thought it was cool, but you know, he I walked home and he was crying a little bit, shedding some tears, so it was it was kinda cool to watch and I mean if I get the chance to get drafted this year, uh it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun
1: you was a pretty good hockey player was was it always baseball Was baseball always the first love was there any thought maybe even 10th or 11th grade about maybe trying to pursue hockey in college
3: yeah my teammates kind of joke around a little bit about me uh, saying i'm not that good of a hockey player but i i felt like i could have played hockey you know at the college level for sure so i mean yeah i love to do it i play pond hockey over uh winter break whenever i get the chance with all the guys so it's always fun
1: in terms of the bat do you need to balance just considering that if you do end up going in the first round i mean that's the seven-figure contract that you know that you got to minimize the risk I mean is there any thought process that you need to kind of just tail it down a little bit when it comes to the offense
3: um yeah I'd say I mean yeah if I get drafted it won't be for hitting at least I don't think right now but um for sure uh hitting this year I mean if I feel myself starting to slow down a bunch and my uh I'm not really getting that much results at the plate I'll, I'll probably we'll talk to 14 and we'll see what I'm going to do with the bat but I mean, as of right now, I'm not really thinking too much about any of that money stuff right now, but it's just fun to get out there and play.
1: Or some pitchers, I mean, maybe some big league pitchers that, that you watch video of that that you like to look up to and say, okay, you know, like, I mirror that guy, emulate that guy. Are there certain pitchers that you look at and, and enjoy watching video of?
3: Yeah, definitely Max Scherzer. He's, like, when you see postseason Max Scherzer, it's, it's unbelievable. It's just fun to watch, and, you know, I feel like I bring that same just, like, you know, pissed off mentality when I'm out there on the mound. And, you know, he's just, that's pretty much the guy I look at the most when I'm trying to watch a good game being pitched. So drafted by the Twins out of high school,
1: what about being the Twins' first-round pick come June?
3: I mean, that'd be cool. That'd definitely be cool. I mean,
1: I think about a guy like Glenn Perkins. I mean, I don't know what sort of relationship you have with Glenn. I mean, Glenn's around a little bit. What about just kind of following that path, right? I mean, Glenn was, was a pretty high pick by the Twins.
3: Yeah, it was – Another guy too. It was Matt Walner. He he got drafted out of high school Forest Lake and then got drafted in the first round, complimentary. Um, and he's a Minnesota guy. And he told me how cool it was and the experience he had. So I mean, you never know. It could happen to me. I mean, any other guys you've talked
1: to? I mean, yeah, Matt was was at Southern Miss, and yeah, I mean, he got off to a nice little start. Yeah. Any any other guys
3: you lean on? Um, I talked to. Uh, I mean, I talked to a bunch of the USA guys that, that I had on the team and their experience kind of, uh, like Rushman and all those guys, and Stott, and it's just fun to see, you know, how they're how they're getting used to the professional level.
1: How do you ramp up VLO-wise? I mean, like February 12th, are you looking for your VLO to be a certain number? I mean, how, how does that
3: process play out? Um, I'm kind of honestly a show-and-go guy where, I mean, if my velocity is there, it's there, and if it's not, I don't. I mean, I wanted to get there. I feel like it never really dips too much, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of go out there, and whatever happens, happens. I'm working for it every day in the weight room and stuff, so it's it's wherever it's going to be.
1: Are we talking mid-90s? Am I shortchanging you a little bit?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been up in the upper as of right now the past couple of days, but, yeah, mid to upper this year I hope to sit around.
1: What have you been up to in the last couple of days?
3: Uh, first time I got on the mound, I was like 97, 98, but, I mean, out of the stretch, like five to seven. So we'll we'll see we'll see where I'm at.
1: So, I mean, that was the first time pitching off a mound in a while, and you hit 97, 98. Uh, yeah, yeah,
3: I guess. I mean, that's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I'd, I'm just having fun. Like I don't really pay too much attention to that stuff. That was my conversation with
1: Gopher starting pitcher. He will start tonight. Their opening night pitcher, Max Meyer. The Twins will be there. Other major league teams will be there. They will be scouting Max who right now has a slider that can play in Major League Baseball. If you look at spin rate on Max's slider, it's already a Major League pitch, and he's got the fastball that he can throw 97 to 98. He is a likely, as long as he stays healthy, a likely first-round pick in the June Major League Baseball draft. A couple other notes. Lindsey Whaling gets a minor contract extension, one year tacked on to the five that she originally signed up for, and Mark Coyle. Also gets a contract extension. He'll also get some balloon payments as long as he's still the Gophers AD in 2024. Over the course of a few years on a yearly basis, he'll get a nice bonus of $150,000. He already makes close to $1 million, plus gets a car. It's a good gig if you can get it, being an athletic director for a major university. All right, we are done. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 283.